having depression is like having no immune system. If yeah. you don't have an immune system, that sniffle turns into pneumonia. We get negative thoughts all the time and that negative thought might be, you're not good enough. Now, if I got a thought like that, two hours later, I would be curled up, sobbing, in an actual sort of physical pain. Because that thought, I'd taken it, and I sat inside it until everything around me was black. Welcome to Are You Mental, a podcast about mental health. My name is Mick Andrews, and today we're talking all about depression. Now I'd like to think that an episode about depression doesn't have to be depressing, but there is a certain weight to this topic. The first voice you heard belongs to a friend of mine, Rosie, and we'll hear more from her later about her long battle with depression. We also talked to a workmate of mine, Rob, about his journey. And we're lucky enough to have our resident psychologist, Nettie Cullen, back on the show to help us make a little bit more sense of depression. Now, when it comes to depression, answers are not clear and universal by any stretch. And one area that you're likely to find different points of view on is the use of antidepressant medication. And you'll notice in this episode that the three people's perspectives are not exactly the same when it comes to medication. And I'm totally cool with that. With topics this complex, there won't be one right way of doing things. And I think it's important to acknowledge that. This episode also comes with a warning that we do touch on the topic of suicide. So if you think that's going to be unhelpful for you or anyone else hearing this, then feel free to skip this episode. With all that said, let's get on with the show. Like many good podcasters, I have a day job. And when I was asking the people who sit around me at work if they know anyone who has experienced a significant battle with depression, my workmate Rob put his hand up and said, yeah, me. After two years of working with him, I didn't know this, and he talks later about why he doesn't exactly shout it from the rooftops. But it's really important to him that some of the myths around depression are dispelled, so he kindly let me sit him down, push record, and chat through his story, starting with his early years. When I was 11, the feeling that I now understand as depression, I would usually in the afternoons at school just become so overwhelmed that I wouldn't be able to go back to class after lunch. Mm. Um, And there was like a couch hidden around the corner that I used to just retreat to. I just wasn't enjoying school. I found myself without a strong network of friends, making up weird little games to play on my own. Mm. And then I think the idea of going back to class was so overwhelming and I didn't have the emotional language to deal with that or to talk about it. So I just would disappear. I think that feeling of being overwhelmed and that feeling of dread, Mm. those two feelings still exist in what I feel now when I'm quite depressed. Mm. I was also born after my parents lost a baby. Mm. And so I think maybe there's something about being born into the grief of that situation. I mean, my mum was definitely still grieving Mm. through my childhood. And you mentioned before that some of those strong feelings that you had then still exist now. Can you think of a time recently that they came up? I mean, this year, Katie, my wife, has been away 
five to six months of this year. Mm. I have a tendency to like to spend a lot of time on my own and that is usually really good for me until it isn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) The first month that she was away was just awesome. Mm. And then somewhere in the second month, it just wasn't. Mm. Um, And it just turned. And I think during that time, there was just too much happening. Mm. And I didn't have people around me. And I am not one to kind of text people and say, hey, let's hang out. So all of a sudden, it was just me and my thoughts and I spiralled really quickly. And as much as you are comfortable, can you describe what that felt like? In my body it feels like there's just a, a pit of despair in my chest, which I just don't know what to do with. It kind of just sits there. Mm. In my head it sort of feels like colour drains out of things, I stop noticing things, I stop enjoying things, I forget everything that I like, Mm. I stop, I I just sort of stop. We'll hear more of Rob's story soon, but now's a good time to hear from our psychologist Nettie Cullen, talking about what depression is like for the people she meets in her practice. I asked her what people experience physically, mentally and emotionally with depression. Physically, People often describe a a real heaviness. Mm. Um, I've heard it described as trying to move through mud, a very stuck but real physical weightiness. Mm. Getting out of bed is an effort. Moving my limbs is an effort. Just making myself a cup of tea feels too hard. And you'll often hear people say things like, it's just, it's just too hard. Mm. I just can't be bothered anymore. It's just too difficult. Mm. And you can feel it as well. When you're sitting with somebody, you can feel that heaviness. It's like this weight and it feels physical. It feels palpable. Even hearing you talk about it, I'm like, oh. Yeah, yeah. And as I'm talking about it, I can feel Mm. it. It's that, oh, man. And you'll see people, their arms their legs, their shoulders, their heads all drooping like with the weight Mm. of that feeling. Mm. And that comes with the emotional side of stuff, that hopelessness, helplessness, despair, emptiness, worthlessness. It feels very black and very stuck. And along with that emotional stuff, you'll have the mental component, the cognitive component the dialogue that's happening inside our heads, which is, I can't bear this, this is too much. What's the point? There's no way out for any of this. It's hopeless, it's helpless. I'm useless, I'm worthless. Nobody's gonna care, that, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, even hearing those statements, mm. it's, he- it's heavy. It's heavy, it's really it's heavy. heavy. Mm. So if, if that's what people experience with depression, What do you think is going on behind the scenes? My experience generally with people who are depressed is that they're experiencing a very profound disconnection, whether it be a disconnection from other people, whether it be a disconnection from themselves, a disconnection from our life in a way. Mm. People are surviving, not thriving. They are 
existing, not living. Mm. And here's the interesting thing when we talk about depression, because we often think about depression as being a sadness or a really negative emotion, mm. whereas more often than not, it's a, f a nothingness. It's a emptiness. Mm. It feels like a desert. Mm. Which is a good picture, isn't it? Because a desert is a lack of life. Yeah. There's no vitality. Yeah. They're often not really feeling very much at all. And that's what I think can be at the heart of depression, is cutting off from feelings that are confronting or difficult or distressing or overwhelming. Especially if we haven't been help to make sense of our emotions. We haven't had the opportunity to process and make space for complex emotions like anger and rage and grief and jealousy and resentment. And how could we have been taught to make space for them? Well, when we're very little, a lot of those emotions are really raw. So I have a baby sister born and I'm two years old and I don't want a baby sister in my life because, <laughs> hey, I'm the center of the universe yeah. and this is not cool. But I'm told by everybody around me, don't be mean to your little sister. Love your little sister. Be happy. This is exciting. This is wonderful. Mm. And my emotions, my feelings, my feelings of rage or jealousy or resentment aren't permitted. Mm. If I say I'm angry or jealous, I often get told, don't feel that way. Mm. That's, that's not a nice thing to say. And what do I then do? Ideally, I have someone saying to me, man, yeah, it's hard when you have to share your life with another little person. Mm. And I can understand that you feel angry about that. Then I can go, oh, okay, that's understandable. I can make space for that. I can tolerate that. I can be with that. But very often we're not given that support or encouragement or containment or... Validation. Validation, yep. So when we're little and we don't know what to do with those emotions, what do we do? Then we say, okay, I'm not supposed to feel this way. I better push that down. I better cut that off. I better deny that it even exists. Mm. Projecting forward from that, you can almost see how the flora and fauna <laughs> dies off mm. and the desert starts to dominate Yep, because you're cutting off some experiences of what it means to be human. Yes, exactly, what it means to be human and to feel that whole range of emotions. Mm. And you can't choose what you numb and what you don't almost. Yeah, it's like an anaesthetic. You can't choose to just not feel the bad things. You end up numbing the whole lot. Growing up, I didn't feel like I fit into my family very well. I look like my mum's side of the family. I sound like them. My personality is like that. And then my brother and sister are very much dad's side of the family. And so I just sort of felt like I was in the wrong place. Mm. You didn't fit. Yeah, didn't fit. Should not been here. Mm. And I think it just meant that I never had a good connection with my parents. And so I think I just was never attached to my family the way that I could have been. And I think if I had been, then when I was younger, I would have been able to talk to my parents more about what I was feeling at school. As things progressed through high school and I had similar feelings throughout kind of adulthood, 
I would have talked to them instead of just disappearing. I think if you're a kid and you don't learn to talk about what you're feeling when you're young because you don't have that connection with your parents, mm. then as you get older, you haven't established that kind of language and that understanding for what's happening to process it as it comes along. And as things get more complicated and the situations get more complex, you just haven't learned how to deal with it. And if you haven't learned that stuff, what happens to those feelings? You just sit with them on your own mm. until they come out in really sad ways. Mm. And they're bigger then, aren't they? So much bigger. When I was living in London a good few years ago, I made friends with a Kiwi girl called Rosie. She still lives over there, actually, and when she visited New Zealand recently, I was surprised to hear that she had a deep battle with depression for most of her life. So before she could get back on the plane to return, I sat her down and talked with her all about her journey. I remember at eight, and I've still got those diaries, I was really confused that everyone else seemed to have this script about how to act mm. and engage with other people, and just everything seemed so sort of awkward and stilted and confusing mm. um, and that accelerated throughout my teens and then in my early 20s I went to uni I would say the worst year of my life was when I did my master's thesis and having time on my hands to think about mm. how not good enough I was I had an entire year to do that mm. and that is the darkest year I've ever spent on this planet wow. um, your starting point is about negative 10 so that's your neutral and then it goes down from there. And sometimes it can come back up to maybe like negative five. But there is no, there's no highs. There's just how bad can the lows get? Um, everyone has negative thoughts, mm. but whether yeah. you are able to reject them or not depends on your mental immune system. Mm. And I just didn't have one. You said before you would, you would live in the thought. Oh, do you know, even as you, even as, as you say that, I, I am remembering what it was like, and it's it's exquisite pain. Mm. It is so warm and inviting because of how familiar it is, mm. because that is kind of the only thing you know, your brain knows how to do. So you are hating every moment of it, mm. but you're also welcoming it. Yeah. Hi, it's Mick here. I hope you're enjoying Are You Mental? As you can imagine, making this podcast is a pretty time-consuming pursuit. And I often get asked how people can support the podcast. So what you can do is go to gofundme.com and search the words, are you mental? That's gofundme.com and search, are you mental? Okay, on with the episode. And what was it like for you when you were out with friends? You know, did, did being around people help or not? I found like social interactions just so painful you know I would have conversations with people and my heart would just be sinking because they were talking about something positive that had mm. happened in their life mm. and because that was so foreign to me mm. and was something that I, I dreamed of like feeling good about something mm. that I just um, yeah would feel sick inside mm. in most of my conversations and interactions with with others mm. I was probably a pretty miserable person to be around too, I suspect. Well, I like I know that. I, I know but, that. But that's the funny thing. Yeah. Is I remember you being 
talented, fun and happy. Wow, weird. Isn't that weird? Well, of course, your worst moments generally are when you're by yourself. Right. Because that's when your your mind can really get stuck into those mm. negative thoughts yeah. and really make them your own mm. and, yeah. and grow them and really um, support those hateful thoughts about yourself until they've blossomed mm. uh, and taken over your, your insides. Into beautiful, into, into plants, of beautiful plants of That is so perfectly put. That's exactly what, what I was great at doing. Um, but also I was great at acting mm. so that I could retain friendships. Okay, so you've now met everyone in this episode. Rob, Rosie, and our psychologist Nettie. So I'm just going to start cutting between them without introducing them. Starting with me asking Nettie how we know whether the downness we're feeling is depression or not. Okay, that's a good question. Because we always, most of us are familiar with that feeling of downness Mm. and low mood and just feeling a bit blah. Yeah. I guess the difference between that down mood, that low blah feeling is that it does pass. If it's just, it, I don't want to say just a down feeling because down feelings are significant mm. and impacting in themselves, right? But depression is something that persists and endures. It doesn't pass in the same sort of way. Having said that, you know, depression is episodic. It does pass. It doesn't last forever, but it, it is over a prolonged period of time. Mm. If I'm experiencing a period of low mood, glum sadness if it's not depression i'll be able to watch america's funniest home videos and get a bit of a giggle i'll be able to put myself in a different environment and i'll feel better i'll be able to enjoy something that is typically enjoyable for me if i can do that then it's not depression so when somebody is depressed they can't experience the joy and pleasure in things that would ordinarily be joyful and pleasurable. I heard it described as the difference between weather and climate. So weather is a passing Mm. shower, but climate is when it kind of sets in and endures over a longer period of time. It's not just a passing shower. The difference between depression and sadness is I think sadness is a reasonable emotion. So it feels right to feel sad. You can look at the situation and understand why you're sad and you can see a clear path towards not feeling sad or you can see a logical reason as to why you might always feel sad about this thing but how that sadness might just be there with you and not overtake you. Mm. Depression, I don't think depression is reasonable. I think it overexerts itself. And I don't think, I've definitely never been able to see a logical, clear path away from feeling it. And I never feel okay about the fact that it might linger with me through my life. I think that's the difference. Do you ever think about what you're going to do in the future? Yes. Do you ever get excited about anything in the future? Yes. Do you feel that there's hope for things to get better? Yeah. So I didn't have that before I was 37. Wow. I could not look forward because every day was going to be like the day I just had, which was dark. Mm. 
So we talked earlier about um, uh, the practice of drilling holes in your head <laughs> yeah. to let the evil out, and yeah. often it was you know migraines or something like that. But I believe it was also done for mental health reasons, and I can see why people would mm. would want to do that if they had that darkness in their in their heads and their hearts. Because I would lie there imagining sticking knives in my head so that I could let the darkness out. Mm. Yeah, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. The things that make me me mm. kind of disappear out of my head. I just forget to do any of it. And that's kind of a, a feeling of, I guess it's detachment. Like I, I don't exist and I kind of pull away from myself. Mm. They're, they're horrible feelings and they're, they're, they're lonely feelings. You tell people about it and they want to comfort you, mm. but once I'm in that space of detaching, there's no way of kind of receiving comfort from people until I'm back in my pattern of being myself. Mm. So you just kind of get into the space of being alone. The detachment is because if I don't detach, instead what will happen is that I'll move into uh, thinking about ways of doing something to stop what I'm feeling physically. And so if that happens, and when that has happened, that becomes, I mean, it's, it's even more lonely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talking about this and the heaviness of it and some of those statements like, I'm worthless, there's no point. Mm. The truth about depression is that some people who have depression contemplate suicide and it would be wrong not to talk about that. Absolutely, absolutely. And thoughts of death, dying and suicide are really, really common for people who are experiencing depression. Sometimes it can be a fleeting thought. Sometimes it can be much more recurrent thoughts of suicide. So it's really important to be mindful of that because if somebody is thinking about suicide, it's important that that gets addressed. Obviously this episode is not about suicide and, and, and it, a topic like that deserves a whole episode. But when you say, it needs to be addressed, what might be the first thing? I think it's really important to acknowledge if somebody's thinking about suicide, that they are thinking about suicide and that that needs to be identified and responded to. Not kind of danced around. Not danced around, not dismissed, not... Um, you hear people say, are you going to do something silly or something? Or you, you know? wouldn't do something stupid, would you? Mm. You're not thinking about something. It's unhelpful language, isn't it? It's very unhelpful language because all it does is invite somebody to say, no, I'm not. So it's important that we acknowledge it up front. So have you had thoughts about suicide? Now let's make sure we get the help that you need because this is important. And you help link them to somebody who's going to be able to support them more fully. And what might be a first point of contact? GP, mental health professional, counsellor. And what if someone is hearing this and does have thoughts of suicide that they haven't shared with anyone? What would you say to them? 
I would say start off with thinking about who you could tell, whether it be a trusted friend or family member, but beyond that, GP, counsellor, support worker. And there are, if it, even if it's just a first and possibly easiest step, there are anonymous helplines, yeah. aren't there? Like good point. Lifeline. Yes, ring a crisis line, ring a support line. It can be a nice, safe first step, a mm. nice, soft first step. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm very aware that we're not doing that topic mm. justice. But, Absolutely. But, but today's not the day to do that. Yeah. So we'll, we'll carry on. Um... So how do you work with depression and therapy? So uh, when I'm working with somebody with depression, I see the depression as more often a symptom of something else going on rather than the problem itself. So the way that I work with people who are experiencing depression is I'm trying to understand what their experience has been to make sense of why they're feeling depressed or why they have felt like they need to cut off from their emotional experience. So my approach is to build connection, to connect with whatever it is that's actually at the core of their experience, whether it be something painful, something frightening, something frustrating and enraging, and allow the expression of that stuff because that's where the vitality and feeling alive actually comes from. It feels much more alive to be connected with those intense emotions than to be disconnected from those emotions, as painful as it might be. And scary. And scary. And sometimes the process of therapy is connecting with difficult, painful emotions and in a way, feeling worse in order to feel better. But what I find, actually, is that people will be able to express the depth of their emotion, feel understood, feel felt, and that experience of being understood is enormously comforting and relieving. Understood by who? You? By me. And then being able to engage with themselves in a different way than they might have been previously. Wow. So self-compassion self-acceptance, self-validating and acknowledging the reality and depth of their experience, their emotions. Wow. So it's almost like for a defined period of time, your therapeutic relationship with a client becomes like a preview of what's possible within themselves. Yeah, it's sort of like a, like a prototype maybe. Mm. I hadn't yeah. thought about it that way before. But, but you're modelling. Yeah, modelling, but also... It's still real. It's actually a real relationship that then becomes a real experience that they can take in and then take with them into their other relationships. So this process that you're describing that a client might go through with you in discovering what's behind their depression, it almost feels like it's a reintegration. Yes. It's like... If they were a house, there's all sorts of feelings and experiences and fears behind closed doors. Yeah. And you're slowly opening up the doors, letting the air flow yeah. between the rooms and, yeah. and reintegrating themselves with themselves. Yeah. yeah, so the pieces that have been cut off and denied 
are given the opportunity to be brought back in and reconnected. And we become whole mm. rather than fragmented and disintegrated. Which is when the desert can start to spring new life again. Yes. How many yeah. metaphors can we, can we cram into this session? <laughs> into this desert, yeah, in a house. <laughs> We've got a house in a desert. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You've just obviously described a season this year that was, was dark and difficult. I'm guessing you're not in that very season at the moment. No. So how did you get out of that? So Katie came home. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> <laughs> that helps. Fortunately, this year as well, we moved into Katie's parents' house. And sometimes just a, like a change like that is enough to kind of change how I'm feeling. And then also just having more people around. You're kind of never alone. Mm. So you're not swimming in your own thoughts as much. Yeah, you just don't really get a, a chance. Mm. Kind of makes me wonder, like, what do you think the relationship between relationships and depression is, or, or loneliness and depression? It's so massive. Um, a big part of why I don't like people knowing about it is because I think it's so misunderstood that it changes people's perception of you mm -hmm. once they know. Suddenly that becomes the thing that they think most about you. Mm. And what do you want people to know about it? It's just so normal. And the last thing anyone who's depressed needs is for people who are outside of their support network to have an opinion or to alter their perception based on the fact that so-and-so is depressed. Mm. If you find out that I have a third nipple, <laughs> you're not gonna change your opinion of me, you know? <laughs> So don't change your mind about me because I am depressed. Mm. I'm the same. I've been that way this whole time. Mm. What causes those dark clouds to form? It can be so many things. One thing that I've mentioned that causes me to be depressed is spending too much time on my own. Mm. Sometimes it's just, it kind of just comes out of nowhere and it's like a seasonal thing. <laughs> like... It's time, <laughs> mm. it's time to be depressed. And here it comes and you kind of feel it approaching. I think sometimes it's just, there are too many things happening in life that are difficult to deal with when life is overwhelming. Mm. Do you have any tools or exercises or things that you do that help? Other than coming to work and seeing my face. <laughs> because that's, that's going to brighten anyone's day. <laughs> totally. I mean, there's the unhealthy ones, like a glass of wine in, at night, like mm. a smoke with friends, all the, all the good things. <laughs> yeah. Mindfulness is the big trend, but... But I hate honestly, trends, says Rob. <laughs> no, <laughs> honestly... It, I'm not. It's just so hard. Mm. When you're really depressed and you have to sit there and try and let everything float past you. Yeah. It's like sitting in the nightmare room from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, like when everything turns dark in that tunnel and it's mm. just ghosts swirling past mm. you. It's like things to be mindful of, every horrible thing that's ever happened in your life. <laughs> just let them swirl past you, don't dwell. Um, 
like I watch movies, I read books. There's nothing consistently that I do outside of like forcing myself to go and see friends. How does seeing friends help? Just talking to people and having that social connection, it sort of offloads a lot of tension that kind of builds up. Mm. When you're someone who spends a lot of time on their own and who likes to sit and think things through, you forget how much value there is in just talking crap with people and how it actually can be quite cathartic without being dramatic. Mm. Yep, a simple pleasure of a bit of banter. Yeah. It's good. Especially because I do so much forced banter at work. (laughs) (laughs) To actually sit with close friends Mm. and have a really comfortable, relaxed time relieves a lot of tension. Yeah, that's cool. People who know you, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Really good friend of mine, very uh, blunt. She had been struggling herself for years, and she'd actually been on antidepressants for for a little while Mm. um, and was getting counselling. And I was over at her place for dinner and she said something which got my back up and I had an absolute go at her. She looked at me and she said, what's going on for you at the moment? Like, what is is up? Because this is not you. And the thing that really, really struck me and has stuck with me for years she said, you need to do whatever you have to do to get yourself well. Mm. And, and that was it. That, that turned everything around. And because she's, you know, really upfront, she was like, right, this is what you need to do. Uh, you need to go and talk to your GP. Uh, you need to tell them what's going on. You need to um, see if antidepressants might be an option. Mm. You need to get some counselling. And you need to do whatever you have to do to get yourself well. Awesome woman uh, who's actually a nurse practitioner. Nurse practitioners can uh, uh, nurses, but they can prescribe. And and for whatever reason, I happened to go to her that day, and I think she just was the best person possible to talk mm. to about it. She was so lovely and so warm, and I just kind of broke down in tears in front of her and said, mm. "I can't do this anymore. I've got nothing left." Mm. And um, yeah, and she put me on a on a course of antidepressants. Yeah, changed my life. I actually looked on my kind of WhatsApp threads for messages I sent to people around yeah. that time when I'd just gone on the antidepressants. Okay, so twentieth of September two thousand and fourteen, day my life started. Mm. So a message to a friend. I said, I, I can't say I'm feeling happier necessarily but I'm also not wallowing in bad thoughts. Mm. So that was like three or four days, mm. maybe after I'd started. Um, so you're kind of getting towards zero. Yeah, yeah. I, I, maybe I've gone from negative 10 to negative five. Right. So now negative five's like, huh. This your is, new normal, maybe. This is, yeah, this is interesting. 11th of November, so I've been on it three weeks at this point. I'm doing good, I think. I think some days I'm actually happy. Wow. Well, which at that time was... I'd never said that before in my life. I'm just sort of realising now, like, the thing about antidepressants is it means you don't cry as much anymore. Mm. So the fact that I'm even slightly teary Mm. means I'm feeling emotion. Mm. Um, But just remembering, like, what a gift I've been given, 
I mean, every year I'm alive now is better than the one before. Mm. It's just better. 15th of November, 2014. Yeah, actually, I do feel better. And a couple of times I even got up in the morning looking forward to the day. I've never done that before. This is a message to Karen, our mutual friend, mm. um, on February 2015. I'm really good. I'm loving work and life in general, a combo of the drugs and life coaching, I guess. Who knew you could actually look forward to the day ahead? I had no idea that general living could be so pain-free. 3rd of March. Um, I feel like I'm happy and I have a future and that my life is worth living for the first time in my entire life. And I didn't know that people could live like this and that living life as, it, as if it wasn't a constant struggle. 2018, this is years later, I actually just Googled the word like depression and antidepressants in my WhatsApp history. Um, <laughs> it turns out not hating yourself is a better way to live. Mm. Yeah, I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten what it was like to live that way. I'll never do it again. Have you ever gone on medication for your depression? Yep. To varying degrees of success. Mm. It's a, a really sad good because it means that I'm pretty stable in my mood. I have way fewer big downs, but I also never really experience a, a proper high mood, mm. um, which I used to experience. So that's, that's a shame. I'm really curious to know what your take on medication for depression is. Now that is a controversial area. There are lots of different schools of thought about medication for depression and it's a complex issue. See, medication works really well for treating some of the accompanying symptoms some of the things that come with depression like anxiety and um, sleeplessness and energy levels and things like that. And when somebody is so completely stuck, when that experience is so heavy that it's difficult even to start a conversation, right? Medication can be a really useful strategy to provide a bit of a buffer or a Enough of a lift. Enough of a lift, start. enough of an alleviation of that really heavy, dark feeling to initiate change. But ultimately, when I'm thinking about some of those things that are underlying depression, some of those dynamics, I think medication is limited in its capacity to address those things. Mm. I think of it sometimes as a little bit like a plaster cast. If I've broken my leg, I might have a plaster cast put on, which enables the, the healing to start. Mm. The cast isn't what does the healing, it can enable the healing process to get underway. I assume the actual healing is the stuff you were talking about before, the self-awareness. Yes, the, the insight, the understanding, the feeling, the feelings, the mourning if there's mourning to be done, the raging if there's raging to be done, mm. the grieving if there's grieving to be done. Mm. Are there things that we can do in our lives to create an environment 
that will make it harder for depression to take hold of us. Mm. So we need to look after ourselves, look after our physical being, you know, vitamins and minerals and exercise and sleep and taking good care of ourselves is a good way of being able to develop resilience in the face of difficulties and challenges because life is difficult. Stuff comes, sometimes it knocks us over, sometimes it just knocks us about, right? But the stronger I can be in myself, the more able I'm going to be to to manage that storm if it comes. Mm. Being connected and engaged with people, caring and being cared for, giving and receiving. If I feel that storm coming, engage with my support network. Connect with the people I know love me and are gonna care for me, gonna look after me, because that's what gives me strength and resilience and courage and determination. That's yeah. good, that's really good. Do you think there's a relationship between depression and a lack of meaning? Yes, life? I do. Humans look for meaning, we long for meaning, we make meaning. Um, mm. I had a lecturer who said we're meaning-making machines. Yes, we are, we're meaning-making machines, absolutely. And without meaning, that's the desert, isn't it? Mm. It's the nothingness, the emptiness, the what's the point, why bother doing anything? Why bother getting out of bed if there isn't any purpose? So finding meaning and something to connect with and engage with is nourishing and brings vitality. So you've obviously worked with hundreds of clients. In your experience, what gives people meaning? Mm. Wow, that's a very um, big question. And again, it's a really individual thing because oh, we're all so different and we all find different things meaningful. Again, it comes back again and again and again for me to relationship. I hesitate to be absolute about anything because I don't think there are absolutes, except that I think that we absolutely need to belong. We absolutely need to know where we fit and we need to feel connected and engaged, loved, accepted. And then we also need to love and accept and engage with others. That's extraordinarily meaningful for human beings. Maybe not for lizards. <laughs> <laughs> True, back to the lizards. Little throwback to episode one, I like it. What gives you hope in the face of depression? The same things that give me hope in the face of anything. Um, the idea that people are good, that I can be a part of that. When I think about what people are capable of when we work together to achieve something good for the greater good, that fills me with hope. And that kind of, it kind of defeats that feeling of depression. Mm. That's cool. Is there any way that you're grateful for depression or that it's taught you something useful? I don't know if I'm grateful to depression, but I think even if I hadn't ever been depressed in my life, I still would probably be a fairly melancholy person. And I'm definitely grateful to melancholy because I think it brings like a temperance to the world 
People love positivity and people love shiny things. And without sitting in the reality of darkness and pain, Mm. sometimes you miss a lot of what's beautiful about the world. How does sitting in the kind of darkness help you see beauty? That tension between dark and light and the tension between good and bad. And if no one ever takes the time to explore the other end, as humanity, we miss out on what sits in that tension space. Mm. And the more we miss out on what's sitting in the middle, the less we have people who are able to hold everything together and go, hold on guys, like this is all part of what it is. Mm. They fit together and they hold each other. And need each other. And need each other. And there's not just beauty in the shiny things? Nah, the shiny things will quickly lose their beauty if you don't have a dark thing. I mean, nature does it all the time. Like dappled light is so much more beautiful than just bright sunlight. And the time between night and day is the most beautiful time. It's always understanding the polar opposites that helps us see the beauty in the between space. If someone is out there listening to this right now and they're in the middle of a battle with mm. depression, what, what would you want to say to them? It's not your fault. Mm. It's not your fault and you don't have to, oh that's, I know what, I know what that reminded me of. Goodwill hunting. Goodwill hunting. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I know uh, I was almost going to say it but I'm like, no we're in a serious <laughs> moment, don't say it. But uh, yeah, truer words have never been spoken. Like mm. if you, like, I just didn't have the right stuff operating in my brain. Depression is treatable. It's not a life sentence. It can be addressed and worked through. And the thing that I get quite excited about is that experiences or an episode of depression, even a crisis, is an opportunity. And if I can grab that opportunity and go, okay, what's going on for me? Where am I disconnected? How can I be more connected? and then live a life that's actually more vital and more satisfying and more engaging and more whole. The potential is for something bigger and better, a richer, fuller, more engaged life. So depression may well be your deep inner self raising a little flag and going... um, Help? Yeah. Yeah. I want more. If someone's listening to this right now, and they're right now, in, right now, well, <laughs> live and wait, well, yeah, you don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> we <doing> streaming. <laughs> okay, not right now. <laughs> um, if someone's listening to this and they're in the middle of a battle with depression, what would you want to say to them? Just like I think it's important for people who only see the shiny things, not to forget about the beauty and the dark things. For someone who's experiencing depression, 
just try to see something beautiful that's light mm. or halfway light. Try and find a smell that you love or a book or a food and sit and enjoy it and remember why it's beautiful and try and sit there for a little while. And what might happen if they do that? I hope that they'll find other things and they'll balance a little bit and what feels so overwhelming and so difficult will ease enough that they can do the next thing or they can talk to someone or just get up. <laughs> mm. it, it feels to me like it's important to you that other people don't go through some of the stuff you've been through. Totally. My horror is, is ever living again the way that I lived my first 37 years. Mm. And if one person seeks help because of my openness, then that is the best thing. I'd like to say a heartfelt thank you to Rob and Rosie for generously sharing their stories with us. And a big thank you to Nettie for giving her time and her wise words. If you think you might be experiencing depression, it's a really good idea to talk to someone you trust. That might be a friend, a family member, your doctor, or a therapist. And don't forget about the anonymous helplines that can be a no pressure way just to have someone to talk to. If you happen to be in Aotearoa, New Zealand, you can call 0800 Lifeline. I used to help out answering the phones at Lifeline, and they're a great bunch of people. For all things Are You Mental, go to our website, areyoumental.com. Stay tuned for episode three on drug addiction, and until then, have a mental week.